Hi, everyone. Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I've been doing film reviews since 1996, so over 22 years now. You can read all of my written work there anytime, over 4,000 reviews. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to let you know that I do a film review podcast that covers brand new movies. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. Search for it wherever you're listening to this right now. Just remember that Quipster is spelled with a W instead of a U. Today we're going to continue the second in a three-part series that covers films of the 1980s in which a dance television show features prominently as part of the main plot. Last week we had, of course, 1988's Hairspray. This week we're going to move back a few years to another kind of innocuous film. This one doesn't delve as deeply as Hairspray in terms of its thematic material because it just wants to have fun. And appropriately, it is called Girls Just Want to Have Fun. came out in 1985. It is a film that features, back then they weren't stars, but they are stars today, Sarah Jessica Parker, Helen Hunt, Shannon Doherty's in the film, Jonathan Silverman, along with Lee Montgomery, who's kind of the co-star, Ed Lauder, Holly Gagnier, Richard Blade, Morgan Woodward, and Biff Yeager. The director is Alan Metter, and the screenplay credited to Amy Spies. The story of the film, if you want to claim it has a big story at all, we follow a repressed teenager named Janie Glenn. She's played here by Sarah Jessica Parker. She's newly moved to Chicago. She's there with her newly retired dad, her mom, and her younger brother. She's now enrolled in an all-girls Catholic school there. But she makes fast friends with the spirited and rambunctious girl named Lynn Sands, played by Helen Hunt. Lynn helps ease Janie's transition to the school after Lynn ends up spotting the phenomenal gymnastics abilities within Janie and gets her to come out of her shell a bit when she cajoles her into entering this contest that's put on by a locally taped program called Dance TV. It happens to be Janie's favorite show. The prize in this contest that they're running happens to be that you can become a regular dancer on that hottest of shows if you win this contest. Now, Janie knows her protective father will not approve, so she has to keep her practice and her entry into the contest as a secret, and she has to have a dance partner in order to enter. So she's eventually partnered with a macho bad boy on the verge of trade school, He's trying to become a machinist, but he really has dreams of becoming a dancer. His name is Jeff Moline, played by Lee Montgomery. However, Janie and Jeff can't quite see eye to eye in terms of what they want to do as far as the dance or even just getting along. And even if they can get along, all the best dance moves may mean nothing when they learn that their competition is the snooty girl named Natalie Sands, who has an influential millionaire father who's more than willing to buy her success when it comes down to it. So that's the basic setup of the film. Now, without the cast that would go on to much bigger and better things, I think Girls Just Want to Have Fun would likely go down as just another innocuous but totally forgettable teen comedy of the 1980s. And and even with that cast, it's really not far off from that status anyway. I would venture that the few viewers who visit this film for the first time are probably not doing so for any other reason than it involves a favorite actor, especially fans of Sarah Jessica Parker, Helen Hunt, Shannon Darty, probably giving it a shot because they like those actresses. Shannon Darty here playing Jeff Moline's enthusiastic younger sister named Maggie. 
Jonathan Silverman, another known actor here. If you watch Weekend at Bernie's and a lot of other comedies he's usually in, he has a small role here as Jeff's Joker best friend named Drew. Now, this is a dance movie, but if you want to see the stars dance, while they do perform some moves, the body doubles do appear whenever the stars need to perform any kind of dance moves that are actually really, really impressive. And to the credit of the editing of this film, the transitions between the actors and the body doubles are pretty seamless, while the gymnastics that you actually end up seeing are quite awesome to behold while they're out there on the dance floor. It's pretty impressive, the moves that they make. Now, as far as the lesser members of the cast, even though they have sizable roles here, Holly Gagné, though she was a professional dancer, her she uses her own dance moves in this film, which is kind of ironic given that Holly's character is portrayed as the one who needs to kind of fake her success. She's the one who's really dancing. Lee Montgomery's career here as the co-star of the film, it didn't quite take off after the release of this movie. He had been a child actor, though, for a long time. In fact, he's most well-known as the young star of Ben, which was that film that came out in 1972, the killer rat film. He didn't quite transition well into adult success. His acting career, at least on the screen, would end within three years after the release of this film, and he ended up pursuing other avenues in order to make a living. He now works, not far from me, actually, in California, in Simi Valley, as a real estate agent. Popular Los Angeles-based radio personality and music video host Richard Blade also makes an appearance in this film. He's actually been in quite a few films of the 1980s into the early 1990s. He makes for a natural-feeling appearance as the host of the dance show in question on Dance TV. Now, dance movies proved to be very popular in the mid-1980s, partially because they featured soundtracks that could drive the film's box office. If you look at the box office results of Footloose and Flashdance, they really were partnered with those hot soundtracks, those being the prime examples, I think, in that time. You could probably name quite a few others. Fame, you could even go back to Saturday Night Fever as starting the trend in this direction. But the other reason to do a dance film other than the soundtrack is that you also have actors in skin-tight dance attire that kind of had a built-in sex appeal, especially considering this film was going for a PG rating. So a little bit of uh, extra appeal within your family fare. Now, the film's title is based off of, of course, the song by Cyndi Lauper, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And while the song does technically appear in the film, Cyndi Lauper did not approve the use of her original track, which I hesitate to call it an original track because it itself was a cover of a song that was done by Robert Hazard back in 1979, which was not officially released. It was a demo, but she ended up picking up on it, changing a few lyrics However, the expense of licensing for Cyndi Lauper's original song, especially when she did not want to approve them using the track just for nothing, it forced the producers instead to use a cover by Deborah Galley along with vocals from Tammy Holbrook and Meredith Marshall. So the song is in the film, but it's sung by an unknown at the time. Cyndi Lauper had been rumored to have been offered a part in the film. At least one source I read said that she was offered Helen Hunt's character of Lynn, but that Lopper was not happy with the script and the male-centric nature of the original song's lyrics, which changed into a feminist take in her version, did not really jibe well with the way that men were manipulating the girls in this film. And she ended up not giving the movie her blessing in the end. The directorial duties of Girls Just Want to Have Fun go to Alan Metter, who only directed kind of a handful of films. I would say his best movie would be the one he did after this, Rodney Dangerfield's Back to School 
That was kind of his peak. He ended up fizzling out as a director with Richard Pryor's moving, and the last nail in his coffin for his career was 1994's Police Academy Mission to Moscow. I believe that was the seventh in the Police Academy series. Medder had been earning his living before this in directing music videos, and Girls Just Want to Have Fun definitely capitalizes on his skill in music videos to make upbeat and pop-friendly entertainment in here a long form. The script from Amy Spies, which happens to be her first and only to be turned into a feature film, is workable to kind of just get you on the dance floor. Nobody really is going to watch a film called Girls Just Want to Have Fun for the quality writing, but she would end up going on to work with Shannon Darty again as one of the writers for one of the popular TV shows of the 1990s called Beverly Hills 90210. She also did some work with Melrose Place, which came after Beverly Hills 90210 in the time slot. As for its success as a movie, Girls Just Want to Have Fun would debut at number 10 at the box office in April of 1985. Not a big splash there. And on top of that, it soon fizzled out after an overall take of about $6 million, which meant it broke about even. It had a budget of 3 to $5 million. But it would, however, have some legs when it appeared on home video. Teenage girls especially would rent it over and over and over again. And it became a staple of cable showings at least for the next several years, in order to entertain teens of the 80s. Now, as for today, Girls Just Want to Have Fun mostly exists strictly for 80s nostalgists like me and probably you who are listening right now. And if you're a fan of the stars, you probably enjoy seeing their early works before they would become eventually famous. Girls Just Want to Have Fun as a film, it's likable. It's cotton candy comedy especially for those who enjoy the MTV heyday of the mid-1980s and the kinds of movies that were churned out with a lot of glitzy dancing and pop music video appeal. It definitely is of a sort. And if you like that sort, you're probably going to like it a little more than most people because the script itself is scant and the themes are almost weightless and it has a plot that makes little sense. I mean, if you think about a TV show that wants to sign teenagers into a permanent spot on their dance show that requires tons of rehearsal time, they have to go to school, right? And they didn't even ask for parental consent in order for the, those kids to try out and appear on the show. That seems pretty absurd. It has an ending that wraps up everything a little bit too tidy and a lot too quickly for being very satisfying. So it's a mixed bag of mediocrity. It's too uninspired to make any kind of critical waves. And yet it is mostly harmless. It does have that appealing cast, like I mentioned. It has some very good dance sequences to make it fun to watch in spots. So it's a film I could see recommending in a very limited fashion. It's not one I could quite recommend to most people. So that's why I'm going to give Girls Just Want to Have Fun two and a half stars out of four. Two and a half stars on my scale means that it had the tools, it had the talent to be something that I would consider worthwhile to more people. However, given the fact that it is a forgettable film and the writing doesn't make much sense and it's kind of a mess overall, I'm going to have to say I can't quite endorse this film, except for people who just love these kinds of innocuous, no-brain, all-for-fun movies of the 1980s. So two and a half stars out of four goes to Girls Just Want to Have Fun. If you have your own thoughts on this film, you can write to me. You can find my contact information on my website. Go to quipster.net for more details on that, including links to my Twitter feed and Facebook page. As far as what I'm going to be covering next week, getting to the third of the films in which a dance show 
on television features as part of the main plot. Actually, there's quite a few films I could choose from, but I really chose this subject as a way to talk about a film I've been wanting to talk about since I started doing this show. It's a film from 1986, and it's called Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Barry Gordy, of course, of Motown fame, Motown Records. It happens to be one of the films I've watched the most from the 1980s. I love it. It has everything I love growing up in that film, so I'm looking forward to talking to you about that next week. Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon for next week if you want to keep up with the films before I get to the reviews. And until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. 